Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. I've been away the last couple weeks um, because I've been doing a little bit of traveling. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was in Palo Alto speaking um, on a Saturday night, um, and then I did a little family vacation around California. Unfortunately, the weather was not as warm as I hoped it would be, but that's how it rolls sometimes. And then at the end of that vacation, I uh, popped over to Europe where I spoke in Amsterdam this past Sunday. Um, And it was pretty remarkable, I have to say, um, because my associations with the country, uh, besides clogs, which I grew up learning about in elementary school, was Anne Frank hiding uh, during the Holocaust for the crime of being a Jew. And as I arrived in customs... And the customs agent asked me what I was doing there. I'm usually pretty friendly and I talk a lot, but I thought I was going to be a little more vague. And so I said, I'm here to speak at a conference. And then he pressed and said, what kind of conference? And I said, a Jewish conference. The secret was out of the bag. Um, the cat out of the bag. I'm tired and jet lagged. I'm not going to maybe make so much sense today. Um, and then he said, what topic are you speaking on? I thought, okay, now we're really getting friendly. And I said, Jewish spirituality, the meaning of life. And he thought for a moment, he said, you know, that sounds very interesting. Best of luck. And I thought, really, how remarkable that 75 years ago there were Jews in this country that were hiding for, I mean, literally to protect their lives. And today I could return uh, to speak about, um, you know, who we are to hopefully inspire Jews to be more connected to uh, their heritage. So it was um, a really meaningful trip. Uh, besides getting to see a beautiful city and meeting a lot of great people. Um, And today we're talking to someone else who I believe will have some lessons of resilience and faith. You know, part of Jew in the City's mission, as I'm sure you're aware by now if you've listened before, is to break down stereotypes about Orthodox Jews so people understand what the rituals are, what the rituals aren't, what's uh, minhag tradition versus stringency versus basic law versus people misbehaving. Um, But another part is to make it meaningful. Another part is to show that old values, that, you know, ancient values are relevant and meaningful in the world today. And my personal journey that I've shared all over the world was sparked by tragedy, was sparked by suffering um, and sort of digging deeper and trying to find some sort of greater meaning and purpose um, through that tragedy. And I believe our guest today, Ben Taplin, will have uh, a a similar story, although I'm sure it will be very unique as well. Um, Ben, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Allison. How are you? And thank you for having me. Yeah, sure. Uh, My pleasure. So um, you, I guess I want to just sort of run a little bit about through what your background looked like. You were always religious. You grew up in Lakewood. Um, And I guess you could take us to kind of where you were in terms of your, I guess, belief, you know, pre the event that we're going to talk about and what pushed you to get into Kids of Courage, a little bit of what that organization thought. Okay, great question. So I actually grew up in Lakewood, and uh, I was actually born in Israel, um, lived there for the first year of my life, and then my parents uh, moved back to Lakewood. I grew up... Uh, regular observant kid, uh, what we call the more of a yeshivish lifestyle, which means uh, that my parents adhered to what the yeshiva community thought was best. Um, The black hat, white shirt, you know, that mentality. Grew up that way, pretty uh, regular childhood. And uh, 
once I got towards the end of elementary school, early high school is when things started to uh, didn't work out as well as my parents would have liked to. And uh, I started to challenge a lot of the beliefs, like why we did what we did. And uh, in the Lakewood community, that didn't really work too well because it was more of a, uh, I don't want to say don't ask, don't tell, but uh, we, we were, it was more of uh, this is the way it's done. And uh, that really didn't work too well with me. Well, you could say that the nice way of saying it is a Muna Pashuto, right? That more of just a simple faith without having to dig in too deep. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And there wasn't too much uh, going on in the school system that really supported, you know, understanding the philosophy of Judaism. It was more just you learned, we believe in learning, that's what you should do for the rest of your life, and not too many questions. And so that was where you started off, Um, and then, okay, so take us, you had a little bit more of like, I guess, a Jewish journey, and what is Kids of Courage? What brought you to Kids of Courage? Okay, uh, so I actually uh, bounced around high school a lot. I went to uh, between four and five. The last one was uh, really uh, small, but I, I uh, was going through a little bit of a hard time. I actually, uh, in 12th grade, I was in Waterbury, and over there, it was really much more being proactive about Jews, and um, my rabbi, the Rikos, was very supportive of people being who they were and really giving them the outlet to do what they do best. And I heard about Kids of Courage. They actually came for a Shabbat to the Waterway community. And I wanted to get involved with Camp Simpha and Kids of Courage. And I applied, um, got in, and uh, that summer, the summer of 12th grade, is when I got involved as a counselor in Kids of Courage. Wait, so um, can you clarify? Because, really- I mean, one time I was in Disney World and there were all these Jews around, and they were wearing Kids of Courage shirts, so that's actually how I found out about it um, originally. So if you could re- let our listeners know, what exactly is Kids of Courage? Who do they serve? What's their mission? Okay, so Kids of Courage is an organization that uh, helps out kids with severe illnesses, and what they, they basically make their dreams come true. Um, they bring every summer 150 campers of all different diseases some in wheelchairs, others on oxygen tanks, um, blind, um, muscle dystrophy is a big one that they really service, um, FD campers, and they bring them to uh, every year a different destination. And uh, this past summer actually was Dallas, and we go on, uh, like I said, Disney World and different amusement parks. And take a moment to understand, these are campers that are in wheelchairs. They can't just go on a ride. Logistically, it's a nightmare. And Kids of Courage takes care of all that. And uh, they have an amazing team of doctors and nurses and logistical staff that really make these kids' dreams come true. Remember, these kids can't just fly in airplanes. It's, it's an incredible thing. They have a, uh, they charter a, um, their own um, they, their own airplane from out of Newark Airport to whatever destination. Uh-huh. It might be San Francisco, Orlando, mm-hmm. L.A., and it's uh, an incredible sight. And that really, that summer really opened up my eyes to all different illnesses that I'd never seen before and how the kids really deal with it in illnesses, more importantly, how they have a smile on their face, even though they're going through an extremely physical challenge. 
So okay, so then, and how long did you do Kids of Courage for? For like one summer, or? Yeah, so I did it for one summer. Then I went off to Israel, and I, I kept in touch with my camper a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it was it was it was challenging being overseas, mm-hmm. and then I um. And then I did. Um, then I, I kept in touch a little bit, but then things sort of fizzled out. And you continued your own spiritual journey over in Israel, continuing to uh, kind of yeah. figure out where you fit into the system. Yeah. And then some surprising news came in terms of your own health. So if you could tell us when and what, and how you found out, how you reacted. So I, um, I was uh, in Israel. I had uh, started off in TJ, switched over to ACE, where I spent the remaining part, um, came home for a, uh, a fa- uh, friend of mine's wedding, and decided to stay. We supposed to start college. I was actually going to be a criminal defense attorney, interestingly enough. Um, mm-hmm. Started looking at schools. In the meantime, uh, before I... Uh, Started, I worked for my father for a brief period of time, living at home in Lakewood. Uh, wasn't, you know, too happy with what was going on, but I was okay. And then uh, one day I got chest pain, and Hatsola um, brought me to the hospital. I went to the hospital, and uh, they realized I had a lung infection, but did not think it was so severe. Wait, so Anyways, tell me, I, I missed that part. I, what, so what, how did you know you had a lung infection? What, what happened to you? You had pain somewhere in your chest? I had chest pain, yes. Chest oh, okay. Pain. And you, how it old are you? You were like 19 at the time? I was, I just turned 20. It was January 2014 uh-huh. is when I got sick. Okay, so they think so that, so I, they think it's a minor lung infection. So I get to, yeah, they thought it was a minor lung infection, put me on some antibiotics. My father was with me in the hospital. He had gone home after around 10 o'clock, and they were like, come back in the morning, it will be fine. At that point, I already I was complaining, so they had put me out on a very low-level sedation, and that's all I remember. Mm-hmm. Fast forward two and a half months, I wake up in a hospital bed with a straight chest tube, didn't know where I was, and I was told that I... I'd been in a coma for two and a half months. Oh, my God. What most, most of what happened, I don't fully understand till this day, but for those listeners out there who are cardiologists and pulmonologists, I had something called a pneumothorax. And I actually became a very famous patient because I was on something called ECMO, E-C-M-O, which stands for Extracorporal Membrane Oxygenation, for over seven weeks. Just to give you a little bit of a gauge here, most this ECMO is a machine like dialysis for the kidneys. It is for the lungs, and it oxygenates the blood. Hmm. People go on that as a last resort. That means when your lungs fail completely, you're going hmm. on that. You're not, you're not almost the chances of survival are very very slim, and most people die after being on it for two weeks. I was on it for seven weeks. Hmm. And they were not expecting you to wake up? No, not in the slightest. My father told me that I, uh, my life hung in a tiny string for two and a half months straight with the numbers on uh, the monitors just being a roller coaster. Oh, my God. 
So you wake up and it's the most confusing, I mean, state imaginable because the last thing you remember is a minor lung infection from seven weeks earlier. And yeah. And so what? What is what? Did you have a major lung infection? I'm saying, did what? What did the diagnosis end up being? So it it turned into something called either ARDS which is acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is really an umbrella term, or something called bronchiectasis, which is an infection in the lung. But what unfortunately what happened to me is that it attacked my left lower lobe, but really collapsed my lungs and pushed over to my heart. So I ended up dealing with a lot of other repercussions, such as dialysis at the time because of all the sedation, and I was extremely drugged with a tremendous amount of painkillers, I ended up getting a lot of muscle atrophy and ended up causing a lot of other other issues, mm. such as a uh, stomach issue. I mean, once you're in the hospital, you get prone to a lot more, a lot more diseases. And unfortunately, the bad became the worst, the worst became even worse. It, it, it just really spiraled for me. And I, uh, and I woke up to all that Obviously, being that they knew I would live, but they did not think that I would be in good shape. And so what? What? where are you at this point in terms of your outlook, your belief in God, your, um, your sort of, you know, thoughts about the future? Do you remember kind of what you were going through um, when you sort of came back and discovered your new reality? Great question. So actually, just to give your uh, listeners just a, a perspective here, take a minute and try to think of yourself lying in bed, not being able to move, not being able to breathe, and just sitting there. What are you going to do? How are you going to move forward? Fortunately enough for me, I've been involved with Kids of Courage. I volunteered with chaplains. I've gone to visit people in the hospital. I was familiar with death. I've gone to uh, cemeteries to help bury people that didn't have enough people. So I was very fortunate. But an average person doesn't have that courage. When I woke up in the hospital, I knew I didn't have a choice. I had no choice. There were one alternative, and the alternative was to give up and die. And for me, that wasn't a choice. So I, at that instinct, decided that no matter what it took, I was going to get off my trach, which is very excruciating pain and pretty much impossible for most people of the nature of my lung infection, and B, to learn how to walk again, which at the time, it took me a little bit of time to realize that I would have to do that. It's a good thing that people learn how to walk when they're two years old and not 20, because that's one also extremely painful experience. And what ended up happening is is that I had this fighter instinct, and I would persevere on through that, you know, just to, because I'm going to... And it was small steps. It was baby steps. It wasn't like a dream that I would one day just be fine walking. It was one step and two steps until I got out of my hospital room and then around the ward. And um, in terms of belief, it, 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 it's in a very... It's a special thing and a curse at the same time to be sick, but when you fight for your life, 
what ends up happening is you appreciate it so much more, and you appreciate the simplicity of life. And my belief, either what happens is you challenge it or it intensifies. And thank God for me, I was able to intensify it based on uh, a lot of previous discussions and uh, through the help of a lot of friends and really the support of my family really helped me get through the tough time. And having a close-knit Jewish community really helped out a lot in terms of numerous organizations that stepped in, numerous singers, numerous friends, really helped me get to the point I am today, which is on the, on the verge of hopefully getting numerous six individuals to be productive and proactive and to not let, not just to sit at home all day and uh, just to think about your illness, but to look at what you can do in life, even for me, which I'm on, uh, I'm on oxygen right now, and uh, my lungs don't fully function without it, and I'm able to uh, go out and hopefully inspire and encourage others who are going through any, really any disease, or, you know, it doesn't have to be an external thing. Numerous people have mental illness. Numerous people have, and you don't need any reason to be depressed. I mean, you think of one reason, but you can think of a hundred reasons why to live. And for me, it's oxygen. Oxygen is something that is everywhere around you, but you can't get enough of it. And for me, that's so important to give over that message. Wow. When you, um, I guess, woke up from this uh, coma, were you at that point already, had you kind of worked out your questions and your sort of intellectual searchings at that point through your yeshiva studies? Um, or did this sort of journey that you got taken on without asking for it, was that what kind of completed it? Or did you have the head there, but then this kind of gave you the neshama as well? Like, how did those pieces fit together? Well, that's a very uh, complicated question. I, uh, For me, I uh, didn't necessarily have all that intact when I got sick. I got sick at it. You know, at 20 years old, it's a time when most kids are pretty confused where they're headed, what their future is. I had bits and pieces together. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say that there was a false thread. But mm-hmm. being sick and really, for me, sitting in the hospital bed for six months really helped me get through a lot of it. Work in progress. I think that your whole life, you're constantly struggling back and forth. And for me, that's what life's all about. It's a, about conquering and continuing and persevering. If we weren't doing that, I don't think there would be a reason for us to be alive. I mean, we're constantly trying to grow as individuals. So, no, I didn't have it all figured out. Um, for me, it it definitely helped being sick. I, 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 I don't, it's hard to go on record by saying that, but I am very happy that I got sick because for me, it made my life so much better, so much more appreciative. It's unfortunately sad that it took tragedy to get there, but I'm so grateful to be alive on a, like I said, simplistic level. There's no question about it that everything I do, I appreciate the friends I go out with and the family and everything about my life is so much greater. And sometimes I have to remind even my own self about that. But Amuna is something that is, it's a constant struggle. And there's so many challenges that are brought up. And you have to constantly reiterate it and reestablish. It just, it's not something you can just take for granted. Mm-hmm. 
And did you ever, I mean, you sound like a very positive person in terms of, how long was this journey, by the way, from willing um, to walk and get the trach out to actually achieving those things? How, how long did that take you? So the trach was pulled out a little bit before I left the hospital, so that was a couple months. Mm-hmm. And uh, the walking out of a wheelchair and then a walker and then just with friends, it's still a work in progress. It, um, mm-hmm. I still, for long distances, go in a wheelchair, but uh, for short distances, I'm pretty good. I actually just came back from Miami yesterday. I actually ran the marathon. Well, I didn't get, I didn't run the marathon. I was part of the marathon in Miami this past Sunday, and I got pushed in a stroller till the 12th mile, and I walked a mile and a half, which is an extremely, extremely important goal for me myself. Because the last year when I did the marathon, my counselor had to force me to walk the last hundred feet. So mm-hmm. for me, it's like, you know, just a constant pushing forward, doing more than I had done before, and um, just about improvement. And what was it like joining Kids of Courage? Obviously, I mean, I think we it's a known thing. It's an adage, you know, better to give than to receive, but sometimes... You can't help but need to get the help. Was that hard to get the help? Was it, um, I guess, what what were your thoughts sort of coming back on the other side? So definitely. I was uh, the first one in Kids of Courage to be a counselor and then come back as a camper. Mm. Interestingly enough, my counselor was my roommate in 12th grade in Waterbury. Mm. He had gone to, I had gone to Kids of Courage that summer, and he had gone the summer after me and what happened was is I came home I was in rehab to learn how to walk after the hospital I'd come back and around Kronika time we were talking we were chatting and he's like there's a ski trip coming up and I would like you to join so he got me onto the trip and that was the first time I was really really sick at that time but I came back it was humbling I will admit it's not easy coming back as a camper but for me, honestly, with my illness, I sort of tend to accept it and be very open about it. Just remember, I'm walking around with an oxygen tank everywhere I go. People are staring at me all the time. I'm a museum wherever I go. Mm-hmm. And I sort of had to come to terms with that in order mm-hmm. just to step outside my house. I couldn't let that get to me. And I am a confident guy, but it's still hard. There's no question about that. That It's hard to get out. Mm-hmm. And... uh at that point already, I started becoming more comfortable. I joined Kids of Courage, and really the counselors and the head staff, the faculty of it, really made me really comfortable, treating me like family, and really pushed me to inspire others and gave me the tools to do so. I ended up speaking that trip. I probably gave one of the best speeches I've ever given. It was, it was a little funny, but I, I did try to drive home some points of perseverance and getting through struggles and really to give hope to the other campers that were struggling, but also for the counselors who sometimes I feel learn more. And for me also, as a counselor, I feel, I think we learn more than the campers. They give us more than we give them. Has your sort of journey to increase the moon been only an experiential thing or have there been any pieces of Torah that you learned while you've been in this place that have given you a particular amount of chizuk? 
So I've gotten from numerous outlets in the Jewish community. I learned a lot from the Lubavitch Rebbe, the Satmar Rebbe, Mayor Kana, Shlomo Kaba, for sure. And for me, I think it's more of the singing. I, I got a lot out of singing with a lot of the people that came to visit me. That really helped me attach with my Amuna, but there are numerous different uh, Torahs where Nachman of Breslov really talks about when you're really in down and all the way on the bottom, how to lift yourself up. And I got a lot out of that. I actually went to Uman this year, which was an incredible experience, and also defied odds of going to a third world country, a kid who's on oxygen. And I actually have to thank the Glock publicly from Amudim, who really made that a reality. Because of him, I was able to make that happen, which is also pushing limits. And it's not, you don't take no for an answer. And I think that all the listeners in their own daily life can learn. When people say no and you really think that you could do it, you push to no end. You don't take no for an answer. And there were points where my parents didn't think that I would be able to do some things, or doctors, and I pushed it. And numerous times I was successful, and that really helped me in my confidence. And, and really, I learned this throughout my life. It wasn't something I learned just when I was sick. Is that when you fight for something, you could get it. I agree. I'm a fighter, too. Although, God willing, I would never have to be tested like that. It's really incredible. You know, I'm thinking in terms of, like, the Amuna stuff. Is it, it's sort of defying all logic and succeeding anyway is maybe that, you know, sort of Hashem, that sort of miraculous side, miraculous side of things that we're not just bound by nature, but that um, sort of we can go beyond that. Is that sort of where the source of the Amuna comes from, that, um, what you see here in this world is not the, the full picture, but that we can kind of go beyond what, you know, rationality would tell us. Am I picking up on that correctly? Yes, definitely. That's for sure. I mean, the whole concept of spirituality is that it, it's not defined by a square box. There's more to the picture and that we can actually tap into that. So for me, I try my hardest to be able to tap into that. I'm not always successful. I mean, we all fall. There's no question about that. But it's not about the fall. It's about how you get up. So for me, for sure, I was able to numerous times. And it helps. The more you're able to, the more you, the more adrenaline you get, and the more you can persevere. All right. Well, um, Ben, thank you so much for sharing your story today. I had never heard the full thing before. I wanted to be fresh for me on the air. So um, you told me that you died before, um, and I didn't know what that meant, but now I do. Um, and it's really, it's a miracle. And um, your um, amuna and uh, drive is infectious. And I hope that for our listeners that are out there, um, they've been inspired for life's little and big challenges. Sometimes we all need sort of that reminder that every breath counts and that just sort of the basic uh, living is is the biggest blessing that there could be. Um, and we wish you a Rafua Shalema and to keep on inspiring. And thank you all for listening. And you can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.